0: Hello, welcome along to the Football v Homophobia podcast. This is the second episode of 2023 and it arrives at the start of the campaign's annual month of action in February. My name is John Holmes and I'm part of the team at FVH. Thanks for hitting play and joining us here. The place to start is at the Champions Club at the King Power Stadium, where Leicester City FC hosted the launch event for the month of action. Very fitting as the Premier League club are the reigning champions in the professional game category of the FEH Awards, and the LGBTQ plus and allies fans group, Fox's Pride, won the supporters group gong last year. So it was really great to be able to recognise that double success, as well as having two very valuable panel discussions exploring action points and player experiences. I had the honour of chatting to Graeme Smith from Fox's Pride, Callum Prince from Leicester Wildcats FC, who's a Burton Albion fan, and to Wolves' EDI and i manager Gupri Baines. Each of them has been taking actions to help reduce LGBTIQ phobia and discrimination in their respective football spaces, and also helping to celebrate what people from diverse communities bring to the game. Following that, FEH campaign director Lou Englefield was joined by Ramsgate FC's Jamal Howlett-Mundel, and another defender in Parker Dunn. They generously shared their experiences of being out on the pitch, and also some of the learnings they've taken off it, such as from being visible in the media and on social media. Coming up, we'll hear from Jamal and Gupri, who I caught up with after those discussions. And after that is the main event of this particular episode, as I chat with Hayley Wood-Thompson, the winner of last year's Hero Honour at the Feh Awards. Hayley is a defender at Cheshunt FC Women. She teaches PE at a secondary school in Hertfordshire and she made a big impact back in 2021 with a video she filmed for a school assembly to mark LGBT History Month. That video was also Hades coming out to her school environment, and it got a lot of traction, particularly in the world of education, but also in football as well. Since then, her spirit of advocacy has grown even further. She's written for a national newspaper about the power of the lioness's Euro success, She's out there on social media and she's got more lined up for FEH Month of Action 2023 too. She's a real inspiration and we know you're going to love listening to her, so stay tuned. Firstly, though, let's get to Leicester and hear some post match analysis, as it were, from the FEH Month of Action launch event. So, we're here at the Football v Homophobia Month of Action launch event, um, speaking to Jamal Howlett Mundell, who's been one of our speakers today. Jamal, um, You've been sharing some of your experiences in the non-league game uh, with the panel uh, and audience today. What are your thoughts kind of going into the the month of action? What kind of action points are you hoping to see from non-league clubs, for example, that they can do more around the campaign?
1: I'd like to see non-league clubs certainly wear rainbow laces if if it's possible to wear rainbow armbands as well. And any social media posts to try and to spread the visibility within the month would be amazing.
0: And uh, some of the kind of things that you've spoken about in kind of your uh, recent interviews and kind of TV appearances is helping people to understand uh, a little bit more about what kind of experiences, you know, particularly like players that might be at men's clubs who are kind of closeted, things they might hear in locker rooms that kind of affect them, internalize them. How important is it that we make people aware of like what you know the language that they're using to, to, to make people feel more included?
1: I think it's extremely important for that to happen. Um, what I would say is that sometimes the most difficult conversations do bring the most beautiful outcomes so don't be afraid to speak about things that you're not really sure about and at the end of the day we're all human beings so people will make mistakes whether that be with pronouns whether that be with assumptions whether that be with stereotypes but be brave enough to have the conversation with your club within your clubs and also celebrate the diversity and celebrate all the inclusion work that is already happening
0: and one thing we're trying to do is kind of show people that there is actually, you know, an increasing amount of LGBTQ plus people across the game, you know, in different lots of different roles. Um, One thing we've been doing is trying to build this kind of collective, you know, for people like yourselves who have maybe come out in club environments, but have a lot to offer more widely in the game. Like how how much has that helped you kind of, you know, interacting a little bit and learning about people not just in England, but in Scotland and Wales, you know, who are kind of doing their bit, I suppose.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, when before I came out, I wasn't confident enough to go and search into different areas in LGBTQ plus uh, environments. But now that I'm part of the collective group, I know that I've got people around me that are supportive. I know I've got people around me that are very informative also. And I think that's something that because I wasn't confident enough to go and do that type of extensive research myself. And now I know the avenues that I can go down to get as much support as possible. Brilliant.
0: Um, also with us is uh, Gupri Baines, who's the uh, EDNI manager at Wolverhampton Wanderers FC. gupri been speaking on the, one of our panels as well today. Um, we're trying to encourage clubs to kind of take part in the Football V Homophobia Month of Action to talk about the inclusion work that they're doing with their local kind of LGBTQ plus communities. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, how you're approaching that at Wolves?
2: Yeah, so um, we have a thing called One Pack Week and it is a special week per season that ties together all our equality, diversity and inclusion work. Um, We use that week to involve fans do some match day activations do some player-led conversations so this year we are saving all of our activities for one pack week i'm fairly new in post and we don't come with an lgbtq specific supporters group but what we have been doing is already planning stuff around birmingham pride um, getting Wolves staff involved in different things around stonewall training and i guess introducing different concepts and taking it beyond just the generic EDI training. Um, but yeah, really excited for what comes about for this year's One Pack Week. I know previously Connor Cody has done some great work for us. Um, so yeah, watch this space, I guess.
0: And, and there have been some wider instances in certainly the men's professional game of kind of homophobic language, which is causing issues for clubs. They're trying to educate their fan bases around language and terminology to make sure they know that, you know, th- using this kind of language could lead to them getting, you know, um, potentially in, in, in difficult situations in terms of uh, being prosecuted, being potentially fined. Like how, how do you think it's useful for clubs to kind of c- to communicate that, to, to, sh- to share that education piece so that fans understand, you know, the, the potential you know, risks to themselves that might happen if they get involved in this kind of behaviour?
2: I would say very important. Um, one thing that I have noticed working in the EDI space across football is every um, police force kind of deal with it differently. Obviously, you've got the Equality Act and what the legal framework is, but for instance, here in the West Midlands, we're the only force with a dedicated football hate crime um, police officer, whose name is PC Stewart, Um, but other regions across the UK might not have that. So a lot of our work is kind of supported by um, West Midlands police. Um, Within the last um, season, we also launched our text reporting line, and we've got a new campaign which is called not in our pack and it's all things around anti-discrimination it hasn't formally been launched but what we want to do is address what is acceptable unacceptable language and i guess going back to the basics and taking it as far as schools taking it as far as our supporters online offline um, and i guess using it as an opportunity where people can look for that information themselves it would be we've already got stuff in our supporters code of conduct but I guess it's making it a little bit more digestible because nobody really reads the terms and conditions Um, but it is there for most clubs it will be covered in your ticketing terms and conditions. And
0: and you've listened to Jamal and Parker sort of talk about some of their experiences on the pitch Um, what what will be kind of your your takeaways from today as, as kind of listening to that conversation?
2: um so one of the things we're focusing on at wolves is the experience of our employees and that covers our staff as well as our players but also the experiences of anybody visiting wolves which could be our home supporters our way supporters um somebody coming midweek for a conference you know with with their work and it is around identifying ways of raising concerns giving us feedback, um, but actually how can we incorporate certain elements and certain messages in any of our briefing sheets. As a live functioning venue, every department has their own different briefings, um, team meetings, and it's around using every opportunity to communicate and not just using it on a day of action or a week of action, um, but kind of really being open about it and having space for people to have dialogue Um, and that could start as something really simple like your match day steward briefings but extending it to the briefings that perhaps sit with some of the match officials, um, people in the media room Um, but we are going to try and make sure that we cover every possible element Um, but Rome wasn't built in in one day Um, but it is kind of having that aspiration and knowing where you want to go with that comms piece. Brilliant. Uh,
0: Both of you, thank you so much. Really great to have Jamal and Gupri sharing some thoughts with me there. And there's lots more from Jamal and from Parker Dunn in particular in the article on the Sports Media LGBT Plus website titled Courage is Celebrated as Football v Homophobia Month of Action 2023 launches. The players sharing their advice for the relatively small actions that can make a big difference. So have a read of that. The link is in the show notes. For us here, it's now time to check in with Hayley Wood-Thompson for our main interview of this episode. I was fortunate enough to be part of the judging panel for the FEH Awards last year, and in a very competitive category, we were really struck by what Hayley had achieved, the authenticity of her film, how she'd combined LGBT History Month and the FEH message together, and how she was embodying that role model spirit for young people. So without further ado, let's meet her. So I'm really delighted to welcome Hayley Wood-Thompson uh, for this conversation on the Football v Homophobia podcast. Uh, Hayley, how are you doing today?
3: I'm really well, thank you. Thanks for having me on.
0: You're very, very welcome. And uh, most of our listeners to the podcast will remember, of course, that you won the Football v Homophobia Hero Award in 2022. And we're going to be talking a, a little more detail about that. But just to kind of introduce you a little bit more to uh, to the listeners, um, I guess The first thing in your Twitter bio, for example, is the fact that you're captain of Cheshunt FC Women and you joined the club a couple of years ago from Stevenage. Am I right in saying that?
3: Correct. Yeah, you've done your homework. (laughs) Uh, Three years ago. So we started the club uh, in August 2020. Um, I mean, the male side of the club has been running for a really long time Uh, they're very well established. So it's the first time they'd had a women's team there and they wanted to kind of join the party as it were and and to support women and girls and so yeah they started a whole women and girls section in 2020 and we're just trying to grow as we go.
0: Brilliant and the day job is PE teacher and you're also a deputy head of sixth form uh, at a a school in Hertfordshire and uh, you know I guess a lot of what we'll be talking about linked to the Your Hero Award is this kind of work that you've been able to do in school in terms of sharing your story.
3: Yeah absolutely
0: brilliant and as part of that again from 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 the twitter bio and i think it's important you you describe yourself as an advocate for equality and uh, you certainly would not have been able to achieve everything that you have done if it wasn't for that uh, advocacy spirit which uh, which i think is is a really important part of your story well okay well let's let's start with the football journey then i was curious to sort of see like how much of that how far back it goes in your past as a player and as a fan has football always been in your life
3: Football has been part of my life since birth. Uh, My dad is a diehard Watford fan. um, So as soon as we were old enough, really, me and my brother had season tickets for Watford. So a lot of my sort of passion for the game come from going along to watch Watford's big highs and massive lows for years uh, with my dad, which has been really fun. Um, I don't have a season ticket anymore, but um, my dad still goes um, really regularly. So yeah lots of my memories sort of started there with Watford uh, and then I started playing around the age of eight.
0: Brilliant and, and what are those kind of standout moments been in terms of like obviously on the pitch but also like cheering on Watford perhaps?
3: Yeah Um. so sort of my fondest memories um, as a fan really have been obviously going along and watching uh, Watford in playoff finals at Wembley, we've had quite a few over the years, Um. it's been honestly some of the greatest atmospheres I've ever been in, of being at Wembley. Um, another highlight is um, representing Brighton and Hove Albion on my debut in the FA Cup against Arsenal, and I scored a goal against Emma Byrne. Uh, we did uh, We did lose the fixture, but we were leading for 20 minutes, and uh, that was because of my left foot. So that's a pretty good sort of memory as a player. Um, but sort of, I would. I'd like to say sort of, in the last year or so, some of my fondest memories of being sort of involved in the women's game has just been seeing the growth uh, of the women's game since the Euros, obviously winning the Euros on home soil. And then um, in October, I went and watched um, obviously England go and play USA at sold out Wembley. And it was one of those sort of pinch yourself moments where. I sat there and I could not believe I was in a sold out Wembley stadium for a women's game. The amount of people that were on the tube and walking down Wembley way, the atmosphere was absolutely electric. And I've never experienced that before for women's football. And I really thought, okay, now it's arrived.
0: Yeah. uh, Am I right in saying you were at the final against Germany? Did I see a picture? I
3: wasn't actually, I was in Borneo on a school trip. (laughs) I was, I was in Borneo in the jungle and, uh, I had to stay up till about four in the morning um, to sort of get the results on Twitter. There wasn't much signal, but um, I could sort of get the odd thing come through on Twitter. And so I I did find out that obviously we'd won, which was really special. But I was um, yeah on a school expedition in the in Borneo, so <laughs> I couldn't actually be there, which I was really sad about. But um, going to the USA match, um, I got to sort of see it firsthand of how big that summer had been um, over here. So really special
0: yeah yeah the ripple effect um well i mean what what a place to be uh I, how about in terms of those those playoff finals you mentioned the one that i really stands out in my memory because i was living and working in leeds at the time was when Watford beat leeds in cardiff and jaden Merritt, yeah, i, I think
3: it yeah. was yeah 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 that yeah. was a fantastic day out yeah i went on i remember going on a minibus with my dad and all of his friends uh, me and my brother sort of just being immersed in the whole experience but um yeah, I mean, that was a really good one. But the Wembley ones are the ones that sort of stand out to me most from recent recent times.
0: Yeah. And going back to that goal, you mentioned scoring for, for Brighton. So um, were you playing in the same position then as you do now? Have you kind of, has your position changed over the years? No,
3: I mean, as the years have gone on, I've got a bit slower. So um, I'm, I now play in defence. I play right back or left back. But at the time, I was quite a pacey winger. Um, and sort of it was my first weekend uh, living in Brighton. And so I transferred from Watford to Brighton and Hove Albion um, just as a sideways step, really, because there was no money in the game. So um, to go to university and do my teaching degree, um, there was no way I was going to be able to travel back multiple times a week to train with Watford and and obviously for games at weekends. So I moved to Brighton Hove and um, that morning we'd had... uh, A sort of a club photo shoot, as it were, on the Withdean Stadium, which was an athletics track. Um, And then in the afternoon, we had our FA Cup game um, against Arsenal in one of the early rounds. And um, we thought, you know, they'll bring a lot of their young players or academy players and stuff because it was a relatively easy fixture for them. Um, But they didn't. (laughs) They they bought all of their big-name stars that I'd been watching for years. Couldn't believe it. Obviously, 18-year-old, first weekend living away from home, obviously making my debut for a new team and off, off the coach came the actual Arsenal team and we were all a bit like wow um we lost the game heavily in the end but uh for 20 minutes like I said we were leading um and I managed to score this goal on my debut around Emma Byrne I think I caught her out a little bit because she wasn't expecting us obviously to um to break through but yeah it was, it's a fond memory even though we lost it was exciting to be in the FA Cup and obviously achieve that
0: yeah, I, I can imagine absolutely. I mean, just looking back on those FA Cup ties of the weekend, there's, and I, I guess yeah. it's the way the women's game has grown, you, there are some kind of score lines in there that make people sort of think, "Wow, there's a bit of a golfing class," you know, between the kind of top tier women's super league and then some of the teams in like the, the perhaps the third tier. But I, I guess that's that's a reminder of this kind of acceleration that the women's super league has had and um and and the fact that you know you've got these mega stars playing over here in this country now and and of course, yeah, it's it's going to be a bit of a golfing class at times,
3: yeah. I mean, it there's always the magic of the FA Cup. You know, there is always shock results. have we seen in in the men's FA Cup recently? um, sort of the golfing class it is obvious because some of these women are now full-time professionals, aren't they? So you know, they don't have to juggle day jobs as well as training. They are training every day. They're in the club, in the environment. And obviously some of the teams that they're being drawn against um, are still part-time players. And so I think the quality is starting to show now of how different it is actually to be a full-time professional and what it's like to be part-time.
0: Yeah, well, let's talk about your day job because it was like a pivotal part of um, you winning the Football V Homophobia Hero Award in 2022. But we've actually got to go back kind of the year before Um, to when we were all in lockdown uh, in in 2021 and um, LGBT History Month came along and a conversation I think from what I remember I I was very fortunate to be on the judging panel last year so I know kind of a a bit of the the background but you tell us how this video came to, to be and how that kind of set you off on this journey towards getting this accolade. So back
3: in 2020 um there was a couple of members of staff at the school that were uh, really pushing the LGBTQ plus um, education in PSHE and um, always sort of saying to me, you know, do you think you might want to do something? And I was like, yes, because it wasn't a secret with members of staff. It just wasn't obviously common knowledge with the students. Um, so I sort of sat on it for a bit and was like, I'm not sure what I want to do. Obviously, I want to do something, but I'm not sure what it is yet. Uh, and then obviously we went into um, lockdown it was the second lockdown in that winter um early months of 2021 and so I sort of I emailed the head teacher and I said I'm thinking of doing this um I've got plenty of time on my hands at the moment um what do you think and he he was all for it yep if you're happy to do it if you're comfortable to, to do it then let's go with it and he was sort of like are you apprehensive about any of it and I was sort of I was apprehensive not really from a stu- student point of view from, from the parents because you never know how it might be received and I know that it was um obviously going to go out as a virtual assembly into the homes of all of the students at the school and their parents and also it was going to go on the school's Facebook page which obviously the reaction from the local community I was a bit worried about how how it might be received um but I decided to do it anyway obviously had plenty of time Um, so we went into the school obviously while it was closed and um, had time and space to film it uh, for an afternoon and then we sort of put the little film together and then we decided when we were going to release it and it got released to every form time at the same time so every student if they were logging into their online form time would have seen it at the same time and then sort of immediately afterwards it was going to get posted on the school's Facebook so it was all like in one big day. Um, For some reason I thought that doing it online would be less scary than doing it face-to-face because I could plan what I was going to say. Um, I knew what I wanted to say to the students, but obviously doing it in a sort of an assembly or a film, you can re-record things and make sure you're getting your message across that you really want to get across. And I know if it had just been in a spoken assembly, you know, I could get my words muddled or it might be quite emotionally led. I sort of didn't know how I was going to feel doing it, Um But I've been a teacher for, this is my 11th year, and obviously back then at the time it was coming up to 10 years in education and I sort of thought, well, you know, the time is now. If I'm going to do something and sort of leave a mark on these children, I should do it now. I've been in school for 10 years and I'm well known within the school and the community. This could really help out Um, lots of our students who were struggling with how they were feeling, uh, just to have that sort of relatable person um, that they knew they could come and talk to Um our school's really good and there's lots of people that um I hope they would have felt safe to go and speak to anyway if they had anything they wanted to ask or wanted to share but um there was no one in our school community that actually was out um and I thought it was important just to share that message you know you all know me it's better if you've got a relatable person to actually say this is who I am and it's all right if if you're this way too so that was the thought behind it really and um it kind of blew up (laughs) and it got a great reaction i was really really surprised i still am actually by the reaction it got um across schools social media platforms and then i posted it on my twitter where i've got um quite a lot of teachers that follow me and lots of them asked if they could use it in their school um during lgbt history month um and sort of use it in their school communities which i was gladly you know happy to let them do and so it actually got shown all over the place I had messages online from anywhere from New Zealand um over in America saying that they'd shown the assembly and um the students liked it and I had messages on TikTok saying oh we've just been shown this video in 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 class can't believe it <laughs> I couldn't believe it either it's gone completely worldwide and it was just filmed in Hertfordshire but yeah I'm, I'm pleased with the reaction it got um I'm proud I did it and I'm glad that I had the time to sort of do it you know as well as I could
0: I think it's fantastic and uh I I was watching back your acceptance video from last year and again similar thing we were we were still in a, a period of of lockdown we had restrictions on us which meant we couldn't have an awards event where you know we had everybody in the same room so you were zooming in to to you know accept the award and in, and you you mentioned the messages that you'd had and the and the fact that this uh, film that you've made had gone around the world and it's just kind of amazing to think about that impact is it was there any kind of personal or or maybe messages that that really stand out for you that maybe that people said oh you know maybe my, my child saw this and it's really sort of had a massive effect on them or, or or somebody who was able to share that personally is there anything that really stands out in your memory uh,
3: yes the sort of the messages that really stood out to me were um from past students that had are- seen the video and then decided to get in touch or to email into the school to say you know I was there for them when they needed it and um that would have really helped them at the time if they'd seen that video when they were in the, actively in the school but they were really glad to see such a positive response and sort of thanking me for for doing it and for sort of coming out because it really helped them and you know I've always been someone that they could come and talk to but I never actively said, that I was gay, and so uh, I, I think it was—it just it really helped a lot of people. Past past students, current students. I had parents email in saying that it was really brave and that they'd watched it as a family, and then it sort of gave them an opportunity to have a, a proper discussion with their children about what it meant and how they could support their friends. And that's what I wanted, really. If I could help, you know, one student who was actually struggling um you know that would have been a win but the fact that it actually started a a conversation in households at the time with my students you know that's brilliant that they, they would talk about it because you know what it's like in school you can deliver an assembly and they'll sit and listen but they might not talk about it afterwards so it was nice to hear that parents were sharing those experiences with their children and um, having decent discussions and you know it was really nice that they wrote in to tell me about it because it kind of made me feel I've done the right thing and it has been helpful um, and I know since that you know there's been students that have actually come up to see me in the school and just said oh thanks for that you know it helped me and especially when we're in lockdown you don't know what was going on and they might have been sitting at home and really struggling with how they were feeling and they, they obviously saw that in their virtual form time and hopefully it resonated, so.
0: Yeah, and, you know, for you, it was, it was your, your kind of public coming out to the school family, the school environment, but it was inextricably linked to LGBT History Month. I mean, with the timeline, you know, you sort of pointed out some of these kind of milestones that we've had, uh, you know, in the time since you became a PE teacher back sort of in 2012, and equal marriage, the kind of uh, change in the relationships pshe education on on the curriculum and then you know even in the last year we've we've had kind of a census in which lgbt people are now visible in the census for the first time we're just beginning to see the data coming through from that and we're learning a lot more about that uh, generation z you know how many kind of lgbt young people there actually are in this country it's an incredible sort of visibility now we have that so all that change that you've seen over the course of like 10 years um has it affected you as a as a as a coach kind of I appreciate there's a lot of mentoring that goes on as well you know for yeah. somebody like a PE teacher you naturally have that kind of you know you're helping people learn about their bodies and about um you know you know their physical fitness and how it can benefit their mental health and all these sorts of things how has it kind of empowered you to be a better coach a better teacher I guess
3: um, from, sort of from a coaching point of view, obviously, it makes your job a lot easier if if the people you're working with obviously know about you and therefore see you as a safe person to talk to. And that's the same in teaching as well. Um, it's way easier to mentor these students that are struggling because they now know. Oh, she, yeah, she was a safe person to talk to before, but now they actively know, oh, you know, she is like me, and, and therefore you can support them wholeheartedly because you're not actually holding anything back yourself. Um, Obviously, milestones-wise, there's been loads that's happened since I was at school, and it was really important in the assembly um, that I pointed those out, how things have changed, because I don't think the children really had any idea. You know, when I was at school... And I was wondering who I was and trying to figure out who I wanted to be in the world. I didn't have any role models within school. There wasn't anyone I could talk to and it wasn't actively spoken about. It wasn't part of PSHE. We didn't talk about different families and how some families may have two dads, two mums. It just completely wasn't on the radar in education whatsoever. Um, It was only in my my involvement in football that I realised actually there is other people like me. And football was my safe space because, um, you know how it is in the women's game. It's it's where lots of women feel safe who are who are just like me. And even as a young person growing up, moving through the ranks at Watford, um, you could sort of suss out each other and think maybe that person might be might be games in the older team. And um, you just end up feeling safe because everyone's there and it's a community experience. Um, and I just hope now where we talk about it so much more it's so much more out there in the in the public domain there's been lots of things that have changed since I was at school in terms of equal marriage the census etc that you know lots of children that I work with identify and are comfortable to identify um, whoever they want to be where we just wouldn't have we wouldn't have done that um, back then Um, so I'm glad that things have changed because it makes my job easier to talk to them about things that are going on and it's a lot easier if you've got real life examples in the public eye to sort of talk to and, and link it back to um, so in terms of a football coach point of view, mentorship it's just so much easier now uh, to be an ally because there's just so much more information out there, there's a lot more education going on uh, and really you don't need to hide.
0: And you mentioned I think in the in the film that as, as you said like women's football has a, a well-earned reputation for being a very inclusive space but you had yeah. you, I think you did reference a moment where you had received some abuse I think um, perhaps it was a, a a male fan or somebody who kind of said some something to you that you remembered as a memory of, of kind of homophobia mm-hmm. um, and I guess you know in a school environment it, there are still as we know instances of kind of homophobic bullying that happen and and, and the way that that kind of language is used they have to reinforce that education piece all the time you know how how kind of meaningful is it that, that there's this thread of education I think that runs through the football v homophobia campaign as well because actually the sport can be a really useful way I think to talk to kids about the importance of being a good teammate about being a good ally standing up for somebody who's experiencing bullying do you use football in that way to try to kind of educate the children about you know standing up for each other
3: well, certainly, you know, I'm a a PE teacher, so um I actually teach a lot of theory lessons um these days a lot more than I do practical. And it's actually easier from a theoretical aspect to link in those things that are going on uh in the in the world. I mean, sort of just recently there's been uh some front page news um on one of the tabloid papers about two gay Premier League stars, you know, they've they were blacked out. They wouldn't say who they were. I'm guessing there's an injunction against it. Um, but the children were speculating about who that was. I Miss, mean, yes, Have you seen this? Uh, and it actually led to a really useful discussion because they were, you know, year nine students, uh, still quite young, quite impressionable. So I just talked to them about, you know, why it shouldn't be gossiped about, you know, why is this such a big scandal? Because They're they all speculating. And I turned it on on its head and said, well, how good would that be? If actually they were teammates and they they did come out and they were in the public eye, so how do you think that would be received? And do you think they should? And, you know, I said in the women's game, it's not an issue. Lots of teammates uh, are in relationships. It's, the same, it's a workplace, isn't it, essentially? You know, if two teachers um, at school are married, you don't bat an eyelid. If two teammates in the women's game were married, It wouldn't be that strange, but in the male game, because it's never happened before, you're talking about it like it's a scandal. Um, You know, how could we turn that on its head? How could it be a positive? And actually by the end of the conversation, all those um, young people that were gossiping about it were just like, oh, actually, yeah, that would make a big difference. Um, So from that point of view, it's a lot easier as a teacher.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously those scenarios, the the influence of the media, the way that certain parts of the media talk about gay and bisexual players, particularly in the men's game, is something that obviously we have huge kind of concerns around and have really tried to kind of challenge some of those narratives and point out why they're so problematic. And as you say, it's largely because of the kind of gossip mill that gets churned up yeah. every time this kind of stuff appears in the media. It is very, very challenging. Um, I, I was kind of interested in this kind of topic as well around participation, how we kind of keep um, young girls and, and and women kind of uh, active in, in, in football, particularly maybe when they're going through that period in their lives when maybe they're beginning to turn away from sport, they've got other kinds of things that are kind of interesting them. Um, So it was something that kind of Lou Englefield from football, V homophobia spoke to Chloe Morgan and and Rachel about on the upfront podcast this week. And I I sort of sent that over to you. Um, Mm -hmm. And and Lou kind of mentioned about this, this kind of an alienation in competition, this kind of feeling that young girls and uh, sorry, girls and young women don't necessarily want to kind of be in a competitive environment um and sometimes you know that can get linked to kind of a negative experience linked to kind of your sexuality or your gender identity if you find yourself in a space that doesn't feel very welcoming very comfortable mm-hmm. um how how do how can sort of coaches like yourself or even from a playing perspective at cheshunt when you've got young people coming into the club how do you make sure that you kind of you know have that healthy com- competitive environment in a way that doesn't ma- make people end up sort of you know, sadly kind of leaving the game
3: it really just comes down to making it a fun and inclusive experience um you know not putting too much pressure on them if they're young young players you the last thing you want to do is make it so competitive that there's so much pressure on them that they they just can't cope because they're not going to continue doing something if they find it an, an uncomfortable experience um so for us it's it's more about. Um, just making it fun giving them lots of opportunity to play to make new friends and obviously experience all of the amazing things that sort of being part of a team and being part of a club uh, is all about um Chesson especially is it's really inclusive it's really trying um there is male teams boy teams women's teams young girls teams there's an inclusivity team they really really are trying to push it as a club for all um and i i do think that resonates with anyone that sort of looks up the club and wants to come and get involved really and experience everything that's going on. Um, For the young kids, it's just about getting them playing and enjoying and giving them lots of fun experiences to to try and limit, obviously, any negative experiences within the game. Um, You know, as I was a child, I don't really remember any real negative experiences in football. I just loved it and lived it, breathed it dreamt about it at all times. Um, It was only as I got older in the women's game and sort of experienced some negative sort of moments, it changed, but I love football enough that I've stayed involved in the game. Um, I think as a coach, it's how you manage any negative interactions and how you sort of keep young people in the game if they're experiencing them. And if you've got a, pardon me, sorry, a supportive coach um, who can help you navigate those situations um, you're more likely to to stay involved than leave
0: and now as i say kind of girls and young women they've seen the kind of example at at wembley of the lionesses winning the euros they've got that kind of triumphant moment which is embedded now in our kind of national consciousness we'll always have that it's something to kind of aim for and a an ideal to have and you you got the chance i know you mentioned that you were kind of getting score updates from Borneo uh, when when the game was on, but you got yeah. the chance to write about it later for like national newspaper, yeah. for the iPaper, which was you yeah. know, fantastic as well. You know, we're, we're only, we're only kind of half, half a year on, or, uh, you know, I think from the, from that final, I think we've just marked that six month anniversary. Yeah. But are you already beginning to see kind of evidence that, you know, this kind of huge national team success is beginning to kind of have an impact on the, on the, the kind of girls and young women that you, that you see regularly?
3: Yeah, 100%. The impact of last summer has been huge, because the girls have got our household names now. You know, I teach lots of boys, lots of girls, the boys know these people that I'm now bringing up in conversation. If I'm using examples in my teaching, I will try and use a female example as well as a male example, um, and just get those names out there. And before the students wouldn't necessarily know who I was talking about they'd just listen and engage but now they know oh yeah I saw her girl and and she did this and you know they know what I'm talking about and I I never dreamt that we'd be at this stage and you know 11 years as a teacher and it's finally where I'd hoped that it'd be when I was their age that these girls are household names you know they're starting to to get the cars and get the the promotion that they're you know through sponsors and things that the children are seeing them more across social media and adverts and all of that and it's just massive um in terms of participation numbers we're seeing more and more girls um willing to come and take part and try out our football training sessions at school um I went to a district tournament um on Monday with my year seven girls team and the standard at this tournament was the highest I've ever seen it it was brilliant. Um, and I was chatting to, you know, the PE teacher that was organising it from the district. And we were both just saying like, you know, we've been doing this a long, long time. We've both been teaching in the area for a long, long time and seeing the growth of the women's game and the standard of the girls that are coming through. Where before uh, a year seven tournament would have been like straight up beginners. Um, you know have I been mean? lots of like nil-nil draws because, you know, the students just weren't getting near the goal. And, and now the standard is coming through where the children have been playing for years. The girls have been involved in girls clubs specifically. They've got the skills, they've got the knowledge, you know, and it's a real competitive environment at a year seven girls tournament. There was loads of parents that came to watch um, and it was just huge. I just sort of stood there thought, wow, I remember when I was at school and I'd go along to a girls tournament and my school was really good because, they had a lot of opportunities for girls to take part in football and rugby and things like that. Um, But, you know, it might be the odd couple of tournaments that you'd attend, but, you know, there's a full programme of football now on the curriculum in all of the schools. There's district tournaments, there's futsal events, there's um, county cups, ESFA, national cups for them to enter. There's so much opportunity right at their fingertips and we're seeing more and more teams enter, which is wholly positive at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, uh, of course, and and it's it's so nice to know that you know one of the things that from those images that we'll always have of, of the lionesses' victory is Leah Williamson wearing the, the rainbow captain's armband, and yeah. knowing that we've got so many kind of out LGBTQ role models in that team, and it's kind of woven so much into into that whole lionesses' story, and with even you go down to things like you know Beth. Beth um, Beth Mead and Viv Mead are going to the BBC sports personality of the year together Jill yeah. Scott winning I'm a celebrity you know all these kind of different aspects of it it's it's so it's so exciting to know that our community is is so fully represented there and celebrated as part of that team and and that must give you a lot of hope for the future that you know those kind of young young women and girls who identify with some of those players know that they don't have to hide who they are they can they can navigate their way through that through football
3: yeah, the, the role modeling from above is really helping all of us and all of our young people because, you know, it's seen there. And obviously the Lionesses winning is a massive thing for our country. But the fact that the girls in the team, you know, there's so many of them are out. And like like you said, just seeing their, seeing their girlfriends attend big events. We saw Jill Scott win I'm a Celebrity, which is obviously a massive program, which lots of people tune into. She won it. And her partner was there and no one even battered an eyelid. And what a time to be alive that we're in this environment. Women's football is finally getting the exposure that we want, but also LGBTQ women are getting the exposure that we want. And it's really becoming accepted.
0: Yeah. And and you say that the boys recognise the names of the players as well. So, I mean, obviously, we've had a kind of landmark moment in men's football Last year, with Jake Daniels becoming, you know, the first uh, British male professional player in thirty odd years to come out publicly, mm-hmm. do you kind of sense that we're beginning to break down those kinds of certainly amongst young young people and the way they the way they talk about these topics? I guess the fact they're coming to you and talking about stories in the tabloid papers and and understanding why that's difficult and and actually this sensationalism around being gay in men's football is not healthy. Mm-hmm. You know that that is. Again, a sign of the education work that people like you are, are managing to do, but also it's it's them kind of learning more about you know you can break the mold. You don't have to kind of conform to to these expectations, these stereotypes that live around you.
3: Yeah, um I mean the fact that all these women are in the public domain now, and obviously their relationships are starting to be in the public domain, it's only helping you know the cause. The children, the young children are happy to discuss it and, and it's not a sensation. The male side of it is still a little bit sensational. Um, Obviously, we do use Jake Daniels as an example, but the real big one for us is if a Premier League player was to come out who's currently playing, that would really, really help everything moving forward, uh, especially for some of the more outdated attitudes, obviously in, in sort of men's football and fans and stuff um, I would hope that that would really start to change things because we know the fans around women's football act very differently than the male fans uh, in the men's game well not all of them some of them Um, and I really think that that would make such a huge difference uh, to everything going forward Um, if, if somebody was just to come out or even better you know a relationship in the Premier League that would come to the public eye but I guess there's still a lot of fear around it and where the women's game has obviously always been quite an inclusive and and, um, welcoming space. The males game is still a little bit far behind when it comes to that. Um, Jake coming out obviously is massive and, you know, he got loads of really, really good feedback, but he also got negative feedback at the same time, um, which shows us that we're not really there yet.
0: Yeah, and and so much of that visibility that that you talk about in the women's game, you know, um, you mentioned kind of relationships and players getting engaged and and even married, yeah. of course, and and the way they're able to share that on their Instagram, we obviously hope that when when and if a Premier League player is able to kind of share that, they share it from a place of being happy, being in love, and not being yeah. for not of course not being forced out in any shape or form. They they they're doing it in a way that's completely authentic. And I I always think, yeah, we just hope that somebody falls in love and feels feels like able to share that with the world, that that would be the best story of all. So, um, yeah, well, look, we look forward to that day. Um, I I guess we we pull it back just to this theme of history month this year. And um, and there's this theme of behind the lens. I was just wondering if there was any kind of film or TV show things that you watched while you were growing up that had a, a big impact on you and, and helped you to kind of understand that part about yourself or was it more just the fact you were in women's football and, and that was enough?
3: Well, I mean, there was a, a couple of things. Being in women's football was the biggest help because you learn about yourself, you learn about other people's relationships um, within football and, and you just feel really welcomed and really safe because if you are to come out, you know that you're not going to be judged. Um I wasn't 100% sure who I was, but I knew that when I was growing up, I was quite intrigued about some of these older girls in sort of in the environment in football. And I, I knew that they were having relationships with sort of other players and things. And I was obviously just intrigued about the whole thing. Um, it wasn't till sort of like leaving school where I really worked out who I was. Um, but in terms of things that I saw on TV, obviously, um, the Bendit Light Like Beckham movie was a firm favourite. Um throughout my teenage years. And I, I think I've watched it so many times I can probably uh memorize half half of the <laughs> lines in the film. Um, you know, we all know now that if that film was to be remade in the current day, that actually the girls would probably fall in love and that would be a different storyline. Uh they they touched on it, obviously, and um some of the other characters that they had in the film obviously um were gay. Uh, and that's just sort of, you know, it was touching on how the 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 women's football world was but also obviously that wasn't their main spin on the movie the spin was about the Asian community and young female footballers in that sense um and sort of aside from that out of the football world um there was L Word which was um an American drama about a group of lesbians um I remember getting sort of box sets because you couldn't watch it on TV here and sort of watching it my first year of university with my other like football friends and Uh, I just remember watching that and just feeling like it's just like normal life where they are. Obviously, it's a a TV drama, but um, that was a massive, massive help, you know. And now we see lesbians on TV all of the time. We see gay gay relationships on TV all of the time. We see them in movies. Um, It's out there now where it wasn't really in the past. There was only the sort of the odd couple of things that, you know, it'd be touched on. Um, But of course, it was helpful.
0: Yeah. And as you say, it is a reminder of how kind of how far we've come. The fact that things are so, feel so much more kind of usualized is the kind of word I, I like to use. And I know they like to use it at the History Month team as well. This kind of idea of not necessarily normalizing because I don't like that word normal, but usualizing sort yeah. of stuff so that everybody's kind of familiar with with these relationships. And I think I think it's really, really good. Um, well, look. I mean, we've covered absolutely uh, loads of stuff within that because you've had such an, I think, an interesting life and and everything that you've kind of achieved in education. Um, congratulations once again on that Hero Award from last year. Is there anything kind of final thoughts from you? On as we explore more about the Football V Homophobia Month of Action in particular, any any kind of messages for people kind of listening to this that maybe they're working in a kind of coaching role, maybe they're working in a school. Uh, ideas for them that they can take away that will really help them to make a difference in their environments I guess around education?
3: I think my parting line should be that uh, to anyone that's sort of on the cusp of thinking should I do it should it not Um, it would really help the people that you work with because children they can't be something that they can't see and so that's why it's important that we're ourselves because you've got no idea who you might help you know, just by doing that, just by explaining who you are, just so they know being visible is so helpful to so many people. And if you're worried or you're not sure you've got the confidence yet, you know, really think about the difference that you can make to other people if you're brave enough to do it. Um, I know that it's made a big difference to my teaching career and for the students that I teach uh, and coach. And, uh, you know, and for whatever role you have within football or in teaching or in any club in any capacity, if you're yourself, it will certainly help those around you and it'll be more helpful to the people around you to learn and be more inclusive if they know
0: who you are. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. And and like thank you so much for sharing that message. And thank thank you for for everything that you've done kind of for the campaign. And i no doubt we'll continue to do. So um...
3: Yeah, thank you. I've enjoyed being part of it for the last um year. Um and the award's lovely too. It's up here. <laughs> can you see it? <laughs>
0: yeah, I can, yeah.
3: <laughs> there it yeah. is. <laughs>
0: Fantastic. Well, look, um, yeah. I really appreciate you t- taking the time to have a chat with me today and uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your FEH Month of Action and History Month.
3: Yeah, good luck with it all. We look forward to celebrating it more at school this year as well.
0: Such a pleasure chatting to Haley. Thank you from all of us for her time and for everything she's done and continues to do that supports the campaign. We know she's got something more planned for February 2023, so follow her on Twitter. She's at HWT underscore PE, Miss Thompson PE is her name on that account, and that link will be in the show notes too. And of course, the month of action needs you as well, so please activate FEH in whatever football space you're in, share widely on social media, visit the website to get downloads and resources, and the big date in the calendar is Friday, the 24th of February, in the evening at the National Football Museum in Manchester. It's the 4th Annual Football v Homophobia Awards, a massive celebration of LGBTQ people and allies in the game. We hope to see you there. Tickets are on sale now. Don't miss it. Keep your eyes peeled too for the category shortlists for that ceremony. Well, that just leaves me to thank Jamal, Gutbury and, of course, Haley for their time in chatting with me. Thank you for listening. Uh, please do rate, review, share socially, tell a friend because little podcasts like this really do need the love that you can bring to the party. And we look forward to catching up again soon on the FEH podcast. Until then, it's cheerio from me and the campaign team.